about your home's furnace or AC? Not anymore. Legacy Heating and Air wants to make it easy for you to stay comfortable year-round. Right now, when you buy a new heating and cooling system from Legacy, we'll give you the complete package worry-free. Get a free smart thermostat, a free duct cleaning, flexible financing, and free maintenance for up to 12 years. This deal won't last long. Call your Legacy Pro today or schedule online at LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the weekly Notre Dame football show that runs year-round. We're usually on Monday nights at 7. We've moved to Tuesday this week to accommodate Notre Dame women's basketball victory over Duke last night, 70-62, to so our move was not in vain. <clears throat> I'm Eric Hansen, the guy that covered that game. He's Tyler James, the freeloader who just read the story. <laughs> and we're here to bring you all the latest with Notre Dame football news and answer your questions. We'll work them in during the show. Tyler will tell you how to ask a question. Not that you need help with formulating your questions, but where to put it so that we'll see it. And I'm done with my rant, and I'll let him start his. And if you need help formulating them, we will let you know that that, <laughs> that was a bad question. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh Yes, if you are new to the YouTube experience, make sure you've clicked through to uh, YouTube's site or app um, to make sure you are able to submit comments and questions. Um, if you are watching us embedded somewhere, whether that's on the Inside Lounge message board, our website, insideindysports.com, or somewhere on social media, you won't be able to to join the, join the chat room. So go ahead and make sure you've done that. Um, while you're clicking things on YouTube, hit the subscribe button to our channel. Um, which is free, hit the bell for reminders of when we have content up. So when we do change our schedule like we did this week, you will be aware of it. Make sure you hit the like button to show support for the show. Um, and uh, we appreciate all the all the people who show up, like Irish fans, um, who just says, oh, thank goodness, my 24 hours of withdrawal are finally over. Um, also, if you are not a subscriber to InsideIndieSports.com, we have a free 30-day trial available for you. Um, if you use the promo code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge, which is where we spend a lot of our time. We share the information we're hearing first. Um, and you can you don't have to go 24 hours without hearing from us. You can you can ask us questions um, and uh, get all the feedback you want from us. Um, maybe not the best feedback if we're not in a good mood, but usually we try to be as a uh, as nice as we can over there and hang out with the our lovely su subscribers. Um, there's a link to that deal in the uh, video description below. So take advantage of that if you haven't already. Um, and we appreciate any of your support. Okay. So tonight on Tuesday, we are taking stock of Notre Dame after Al Golden's extension, the 2024 schedule reveal, and a strong recruiting week. Uh, the Irish are bearing down on the start of spring practice, starting the first of their 15 sessions on March 7th. They'll then pause for spring break the week of March 11th and then restart spring practice. The wrap-up will be the annual, when it's not a pandemic, blue-gold game set for 1 o'clock Eastern time on April 20th at Notre Dame Stadium. That game will be on Peacock if you can't make it to South Bend. And we're going to start our opening drive tonight with the coaching carousel. Fails to scoop up Al Golden as the Irish defensive coordinator signs a four-year contract extension. So, Tyler, why does this matter? Let's start with recruiting, but we're going to get to some other things like scheme continuity and those kinds of things. So, from a recruiting standpoint, is it something that we'll notice right off the bat? I don't think so. I, I don't know that the, the biggest or one of the biggest two or three impacts of this is recruiting related. Um, I think as long as Marcus Freeman is the head coach, Notre Dame will have success with defensive recruiting um, because he's very familiar with that side of the ball, has a hand in recruiting on both sides of the ball, but obviously has a um, particular entrance of defense, which is where he came up. Um, so Al Golden isn't necessarily someone that I hear recruits talking about in terms of that's why they're coming to Notre Dame. But I do think the success that his defense has had um, is something that 
is allow allows you to continually say, "Hey, look at the success we've had." It's going to be continue because we have the guru behind the defense, Al Golden, still in play. So um, he does a fine job recruiting on, uh, but I don't know um, that that is the the biggest impact that it will make. But I do think it's good that continuity you mentioned just gives recruits a sense of what they're what they're joining in and a, obviously a track record of what it's been with him on Notre Dame staff. How about in terms of scheme continuity and the timing for spring installation? Because a couple of years ago, both of those things were issue or issues when Al Golden was hired and he wasn't hired until like the middle of February. Yeah, I think um, it's obviously important to have the same scheme, at least from my perspective, um, to maximize what you're getting out of your veteran players. Everything that they have learned remains of importance and value that they're continuing to get better. Um, and then what they're learning is remaining the same. Obviously, there's going to be wrinkles from year to year, but um, the base of what they're doing remains the same. And I think the longer you have that in place, it allows younger players to develop faster too. If you have young guys that aren't going freshman to sophomore year where they're learning new defensive schemes, I think you're going to have a better chance of those guys being able to develop quickly and, and fit into the scheme. And then also the familiarity of, of Al Golden and the rest of the coaching staff of knowing what those guys can do um, and finding maybe niche roles for guys that maybe don't fit every check, every box that you would want from that position, but they can find ways to use them. So um, I think, the timing is – it would be bad if he left at this time um, because Notre Dame would be – Which they're still college coordinators moving around right now. Yes, um, and, that, and that wouldn't be ideal for Notre Dame. I, I don't I don't know what would happen if he left, if Mike Mickens would be someone that Marcus Freeman would tap as, as the next defensive coordinator. Um, that would certainly be a potential – um, move and that would lean towards continuity, but Mike Mickens doesn't have any coordinator experience like that, so um, that would be an interesting decision. But it's one that Notre Dame doesn't have to make, um, and I think that's the most important part. Um, if he if he left, it would have be- become an obstacle, especially so so much so close to spring practice. Um, you don't have to worry about that. Keep things rolling and um, keep the high expectations for this 2024 season intact. And when we talk about high expectations. Notre Dame finished fifth in the country in total defense last year, number one in pass efficiency defense, and pretty good in almost every defensive category. Made a lot of dramatic improvements in some categories like turnovers gained and red zone defense. Um, What do you think um, are the chances that this return helps create another top five defense. And I, and then we can talk about maybe players who could make that happen. Obviously players that return help, but, but why would Al Golden's return and possibly for four years uh, end up being something that's a big positive? I think we've seen the potential that the defense has in, in both of the seasons, right? Um, not just last season with a top five defense, but it's not like Notre Dame's defense was bad the year before. I think one thing that to me was the most impressive part about the improvement from um, 2022 to 2023 was the red zone defense was sort of the, the blister of the, of the 2022 defense. Um, And that became a strength of the defense last year. Notre Dame finished the season number two in red zone uh, scoring percentage. Um, and that was a, a vast improvement. Um, and I think we just see sort of continual improvement sort of across the board. Um, I think Al Golden seems to be getting more and more comfortable getting back into the college game, um, knowing more about what these college offenses are doing because he's seeing them on a yearly basis. And uh, I think all those things lend toward this being um, the right the right fit for Notre Dame, the, the right uh, way to stay on the trajectory that it looks like this defense is on. Um, and I think it continues to allow Marcus Freeman to be the CEO of the program. 
if, for instance, Al Golden left and then maybe Mike Mickens is the defensive coordinator, I my theory would be that Marcus Freeman would probably be pretty pretty hands-on with the defense in that case, working with Mike Mickens very closely as someone who's inexperienced in that role. Whereas without Golden, he doesn't have to do that. Um, and so I think that this allows Marcus Freeman to continue to grow in his his own career path as a head coach and and take responsibility for the things that he needs to do in terms of becoming a better head coach rather than just having to oversee a defense and making sure that they're getting on uh, the right page with those kinds of things. So um, I think it impacts the program in a number of different ways. Um, and so I think, th- I think that all makes sense to me. Is there anything uh, or what, what do you think is most important? Do you think is most important uh, about Al Golden's retention on staff? I think um, for the short term, just not having to maybe risk different leadership, different term- terminology, you had this incredible run of four guys that could have gone in the draft that came back, mm-hmm. and you're combining it with a really nice talent base of young and older players, and it just seems to me you're not messing with that success. Had Al Golden left, um, you know, I know that you always, whether it was Mike Mickens or somebody from the outside, you know, Marcus Freeman, when he was a new head coach said, boy, I'd really like the new coordinator to kind of run my defense. And that didn't happen. And Marcus saw when he got into the interview process, how unrealistic that was. Um, so, the, you know, to have somebody else run your defense, I think it's easier if they've been on your staff, if you're bringing them in from the outside, especially with Al Golden, having been in the NFL for six years, that was just too tough of an ask. It was hard enough for him to get readjusted back to the college game and, and in a very short runway to spring practice. Um, so I, I do like that. For the long term, you know, back years and years ago when he was a coordinator at Virginia before he became a head coach, he was the star defensive, rising star defensive coordinator in the country. And I think this different version of him could end up being that name kind of coach. If Notre Dame can put back-to-back top five defenses together and Notre Dame makes the playoff and maybe wins a playoff game, then I think Al Golden starts to get that rep and kind of an offshoot of recruiting. Yeah, He's not the guy that's going to necessarily blow you away in the living room and that kind of thing, or call recruits every other night. But he is a guy where you say, you know what, Al Golden has coached in the NFL. He's been a college head coach. He's this incredible defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. This is kind of the one additional piece that I need to say yes to Notre Dame over the other teams that are competing. So I I like the fact, I think he did a really good job last year, and I don't think it was a fluke. So my question then is, as we look at the defense for 2024, where can it improve? And if it does, where where are the position groups or the players where they're going to have to step up their game? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to start with maybe some statistical areas that it could potentially improve. And it's, it's hard to find a lot because it, it, they did so well. This defense, especially was a, over the last half of the season, the, the defense was a top 10 team in passing efficiency, mm-hmm. where it was number one red zone defense, where it's where it was second passing yards allowed third total defense, fifth and scoring defense, seventh. Um, if you're looking at some of the stats, rushing defense, they finished 26th with uh, 119 yards allowed per game. Um, third down conversion, they finished 29th um, in percentage allowed. Um, and then fourth down conversions, they finished tied for 24th. Um, so I, you, there's nitpicking to be done there. Um, maybe, maybe the biggest area, and if we're talking about nitpicking, it would be long runs. Notre Dame gave up some long runs in situations last year that were really backbreakers. If you think about the Louisville game, you think about the Ohio State game, um, that really were deflating in some ways. Um, I looked up the stats, Notre Dame, um, 
overall at explosive plays allowed 17 of 30 plus yards, which was tied for 15th fewest. Um, but if you look at just long runs of 30 plus yards, they gave up seven, which was tied for 68th. Um, so that is a, a small area for improvement. Um, are there are there any other statistical areas that I didn't mention that you think are worth highlighting? I think early in the year, especially like the first half of the year, run defense, not just for long runs, but run defense overall. Now, mm -hmm. Notre Dame does something a lot of teams don't do. They are pretty committed to just seven people being involved in the run. They don't cheat with that eighth or ninth defender very often, where a lot of teams will do that, and they'll kind of force your hand, and then you've got to show them that you can throw. Notre Dame would rather you have a tough time throwing, right. and then then they can be pretty effective against the run. Toward the end of the year, they were really good with what they call light box, not playing um, an eighth defender in the box and giving up something in the passing game. I think they can be, with the personnel they have, when you think about mm -hmm. up the middle, if they get very good production from the middle linebacker, and we're guessing that's probably going to be a young player with Jack Kaiser probably playing the weak side linebacker still inside. You think about Riley Mills and Howard Cross, and then in the back end, Xavier Watts, and, and that's going to be a difficult team to deal with uh, running or passing, I think, but, but they're going to have to bring that. So somebody like RJ Oban, who's been a really good pass rusher at Duke, he's going to have to become that complete defensive end for Notre Dame. And they're going to have to get mileage out of the other field ends. Jordan Batello is going to have to be better against the run mm -hmm. whoever's playing Viper. And, um, I don't have any qualms about the cornerbacks and run support. I think they'll be really good. I do think there's some questions about whoever's playing safety with Xavier Watts. And I think we'll see yeah. a rotation. Rod Hurd is going to be involved. The nickel is going to be a smaller player in Jordan Clark, mm -hmm. uh, 179 pounds. Is he going to be physical enough when they're in nickel to help stop the run? So those are some of the areas that I think are going to step up or need to step up, but I could see this team, especially given the schedule being, uh, having a chance to be a top three defense. If they were fifth last year, they, they could certainly be in the top three, but the, you know, you think about the games where they're going to really have to be on top of it. Mm -hmm. And they have not been a great team at the beginning of the season, either of the seasons. Um, they got better as the year went on. They weren't bad in, in the early part of the year, but they were more of a flawed team, and then they really turned it on in the last six. And I think Al Golden coming back is going to help facilitate that. Mm -hmm. They need to be at their best against Texas A&M in that first game because that's – I mean, they can recover from that, but that's going to set them up for the rest of the season. And then November they are going to need to be really good because they're going to face – uh, Florida State in November. They're going to play face USC in November. You know, Virginia's probably a team that's going to be a little bit better than we think they are. And then they're going to have the curveball of having to face Army and the differences that they do right before going back out to USC, you know, and going back to a conventional offense. That's never a really automatic transition. I think Al mm -hmm. Golden has handled it better than most of Notre Dame's defensive coordinators that kind of it's usually a post Navy hangover a post triple <laughs> he's also benefited hangover. from Navy not being very good the last yes. years too yeah yeah they they got rid of their offensive coordinator after one year he didn't <laughs> he didn't last very long so that's that would be my critique on that um, um before we uh, I wanted to throw this comment in from John Murray on the on the Al Golden conversation um, I believe it was the little things like proper tackling that in total made such an improvement and that coaching played a huge factor. I think that's a pretty fair comment. Um, before we transition to some of the other uh, staff news that became official today, um, I wanted to throw in this question from Scott Phillips. If you have, uh, if you're watching and have other questions, please send them our way. What are your thoughts on the five, seven playoff bracket that was just finalized? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, what's hard in this day and age, and I sound like the get off my lawn kind of guy, <laughs> but I mean, some journalism today is so bad. And there were people that kind of reported that concepts that were part of the 6-6 six, six playoff bracket as new. And, and really, the only thing that changed is the number of automatic qualifiers, the buy, um, the buy structure stayed the same. Notre Dame's structure, if anything, Notre Dame got a little richer in this, in that there's seven large yeah. dots instead of six. Yep. So, I mean, I feel basically about the same I did when it was this six versus six. So I'm not picking on Scott's question. That is a good yeah. question. I think um, giving up. Um, being able to be a team that did have a chance to earn a buy and then not having to play a college uh, or a conference, conference championship game. I don't know that that's an even trade-off, but it is a trade-off. And I do think Notre Dame did get something for that concession. And I don't have a problem with, um, if Notre Dame is the number one team in the country and they're playing one extra game, and it's against a number 12 seed, they ought to win that. And at home, they ought to win that game right. pretty easily. So I don't know that it really changes their path a great deal. I guess in the second second round, they would be playing a four instead of an eight. And then, it, then I guess you could argue that there's a markedly tougher opponent playing a four rather than the eight seed. Right, uh, but but I think I mean you have to remember that not playing a conference conference championship game is an advantage. You yeah, there's, you don't have that second best team in your conference that you could lose to that that last week before um, the playoff is is put into place. So um, there, Notre Dame does have a benefit, and that it doesn't have to play that game. Not now, only do you not risk the loss, you also get away from a, another game where you could possibly have an injury. Sure. And so, and an extra week of rest. So I, I think Notre Dame comes out in this pretty good. And again, if they wanted to change that at some point, they could join a conference if they really wanted to. But right now they can't do so without a whole lot of legal problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, my first reaction was just like, this was going to happen, but it just like okay, well, what's the next conference to fold now? Because I mean, this is only happening because the Pac-12, correct, is the Pac-2. Yeah, it's, it's two just pack. <laughs> two pack. Um, so it just I, I'm I guess I'm cynical in that way that I just don't I don't know that I trust these conferences to uh, remain the same very long, um, even though there seems to be some contractual um, th things in place to prevent much changing in the immediate future. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where this is going long-term with all the conferences and it seems like eventually maybe football breaks off from every, everything else. But um, at, as is, I think it's, I think it's a, a pretty good position for Notre Dame. I understand if you don't feel great about the fact that you can't be the number one seed or the, or a number four seed in in the college football playoff, regardless of your record. Um, but I, I would, I'll, I'll need more evidence to be shown that it, it would be a serious detriment to Notre Dame's chance to winning the playoff. Um, if, if, if Notre Dame were to go 12 and 0, um, and that just for somehow that makes it harder for Notre Dame to win the playoff than it would if, um, if it had to go 13 and 0 to get the number one seed for the playoff. Yeah. I mean, and Brett McMurphy, um, who used to work at ESPN, he's now with what's what's his outfit? Is it the Action Network? Is that yes, correct. Yep, that's right. So he did a mock bracket of what he thinks the bracket will look like this year. And Notre Dame was playing as the seven seed, number ten Alabama in the first game, but in South Bend. And then you look at the other teams. It's like, wait, you have to beat Alabama, Oregon, Georgia, and somebody else, Ohio State or Michigan, to win a national championship. I mean, even if you only had to win three games, you're going to have to win three really good games. I think the team that really gets kind of 
potentially the shaft in this is the, the four seed because whoever the five is, whether it's Notre Dame or whether it's an at-large from another conference, they're probably going to be a better team than that fourth conference champion. Uh, they may not be, but but there's a good chance that they will be, or at least they'll be up to the task. So, But I'm excited that there's 12 teams. I, I'm excited that the conversation about who gets left out will be the number 13 team. I'm much more yeah. into that than the number five team getting left out. I didn't like what happened this year right. with Florida State and Alabama. Yeah, and hopefully I, nobody will opt out of these playoff games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think that'll be happening with the opt-outs for playoff games. But um, what comes of what remains of the bowl games, who, who knows? But I think that it's already trended in one direction, regardless of the playoff situation as is. So um, I don't know that it's worth being too distraught over a, a bowl system where a lot of people make a lot of money uh, to begin with. All right, Eric, that's all the questions I got. You want to get back to talking a little bit about Max Bulla? Yeah, so there are additional staff moves that we've already reported on. They're now starting to become official. Tyler, you wrote the Max Bulla uh, story today. He was promoted Tuesday to full-time linebackers coach. We believe still to come. Mike Mickens is expected to take over safeties and corners. He was already the defensive passing game coordinator. You know, Al Golden will be a roving instructor, and we expect a top-level grad assistant to coach the safeties and and help Mike Mickens there. So, um, so what what's your thoughts? What were your impressions of Max Boa in his first year coaching at Notre Dame? Yeah, I think he did a good job. I mean. From every, everything I know is secondhand in terms of what Al Golden says, what the linebackers are saying, what the linebacker recruits are saying. Um, but there was a lot of um, praise for what he was doing. I mean, he he came to Notre Dame from Alabama knowing and wanting uh, a more hands-on role that he was going to be in in Alabama, and Notre Dame offered him that. Um, that's how Notre Dame operated with James Laurinaitis the previous year. Um, and he was essentially a linebacker's coach without – a linebacker salary or the official title title of being that certainly Al Golden was very involved with the linebackers, but um, Max Bola had a lot of responsibilities. And so I don't think this will be a significant change in his responsibilities. Um, and I think the linebackers played pretty well last season. Um, Maris Leofau seemed to improve, even if maybe the production didn't get to the point where we all th thought or hoped it may be eventually. I think J.D. Bertrand continued to be the consistent player. Jack Kaiser um, remained an incredibly productive player, even though his snaps weren't at a very high level. Um, and so I think he showed to be a very competent coach. Um, Al Golden spoke very highly of him. Like I mentioned, he even mentioned, I was looking back to just see things that people had said about Max Bola. He talked about the fact that Max Bola played a role in, in planning with red zone stuff and, uh, I talked about the red zone improvement last year, not to say that all the credit goes to Max Bola for that, but he did play a role in sort of spearheading, spearheading how, how Notre Dame was going to game plan and identify issues and, and things to do in the red zone defensively. Um, and, and the stats followed with the improvement to being the number two red zone defense in the country. Um, I remember talking to Teddy Rezac, who was a linebacker recruit who signed with Notre Dame in the 2024 class. He talked about being on a visit with um in and in a meeting with Max Bola and it eventually it or essentially turned into a a workout he was walking him through some of the drills they do um and and Teddy was like that's the first time I was sweating in a meeting with the coach cuz he was having me do so many different things and so um Max is a guy who is very passionate about the game and playing the position of linebacker. He's done it at a high level. And so I think all of those things resonate with recruits. Um, he was active on the recruiting trail during the contact period. Al Golden was off the road um, for a bit and, and Max Bola was out there going to high schools across the country, making relationships with coaching staffs and, and players. He'd already had been someone that was communicating with Notre Dame's linebacker recruits. So that will just only increase here more. Um, and this, it's a very important position in this recruiting cycle because there are a lot of names 
Um, I'm actually starting to do a heat index for the 2025 class where I break down all the remaining targets and where Notre Dame sort of stands with them. And the linebacker one is about as long as any of them in terms of the number of possibilities there. Um, But Notre Dame has a lot of work to do in terms of getting more commitments into the class besides Kia. Um, so um, an important role that he'll play um, in the coming months as well will be as a, as a lead recruiter with the linebackers. I'm just glad we got through that segment without me calling him Shane, which is his father's name, who <laughs> I covered earlier in my career. So, um, okay, we will move on from that to the recruiting reset. So a week after Notre Dame received Verbal commitments from four-star offensive tackle Owen Strebig and three-star wide receiver Elijah Burris. The Irish received commitments this week from another offensive tackle and another wide receiver, three-stars Marty Augustine and Sean Terry. Matty Augustine was today, um, Tuesday. The Irish now have the number one class per rivals in the 2025 cycle. They have 17 verbal commitments. There are only three other teams that are in double digits with their commitments. And Penn State has the most of those with 12. Clemson and Oklahoma are also double digits. Um, I want to get to thumbnails of Augustine and Terry, but what does it say about Notre Dame being at 17 in this point of the season, both in terms of their approach and what we think might happen when we get to the end of the cycle in December slash February. Yeah. Notre Dame is not afraid to be active early and often in, in recruiting. I I think it speaks to the confidence that the staff has in its evaluations where it's taking guys that, I mean, we've even seen guys already in the 2025 class that maybe were three stars early and now have already climbed to four stars. Um, And um, the two guys are talking about Maddie Augustine and Sean Terry, are both three-star recruits, um, but Notre Dame is confident in their evaluations of those recruits and continues to push for guys. Um, and I, I, I don't know if, I mean, the number one ranking is like a little bit of fool's gold, really. Um, it's not like this class is bad or anything, but it, it's heavily, it's heavily dependent on the fact that they have so many more. Unless you're talking like Michael Jackson's bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it's it's heavily dependent on the number because the rivals formula includes the top 20 ranked commits um, for your team ranking. And so Notre Dame um, is stacking its numbers a bit on that um, by, by adding more guys. But I think we'll see a number of those guys continue to climb in the rankings and that will help Notre Dame stay inside the top 10. Um, I think they're Notre, Notre Dame's probably going to need to add some big time guys down the stretch in order to maybe finish higher into the top five potentially um that's i think that's really the next bar that notre dame needs to cross is to try to get back into the top five with its recruiting classes um but there's still plenty of guys that notre dame can add to this class they're going to continue to be aggressive um and push push the envelope a bit in terms of class size because with transfer portal attrition especially as we're going to see the COVID years be lesser and lesser that the list of graduate students that Notre Dame can bring in is probably going to shrink a little bit, um, which means in theory that Notre Dame's transfer portal numbers could decrease. Um, And if Notre Dame is going to continue to lose some, but maybe not an alarming amount of underclassmen, you're going to have to continue to sort of oversign, even though it's not considered oversigning anymore. Um, more than maybe sometimes more than 25 guys in a class. I I would be a little surprised if this class ends up smaller than 25 um, because I think that's just part of the way Notre Dame wants to continue to build primarily through recruiting and then enhance through the transfer portal. So they're going to, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Notre Dame to skimp on recruiting class size. Okay. Let's talk about Maddie Augustine. I'm going to combine a couple of things here, a couple of elements. Sure. So, they have three offensive tackles, right? Correct. Okay, yep. so how good is Matty Augustine? Who was this competition? And then what do we see as ideally the size of the offensive line class? Yeah, so Matty Augustine is a three-star recruit, a 5.7 rating on rivals. 
Um, he's six foot seven, two hundred eighty-five pounds from Greenwich, Brunswick. He's the third offensive tackle commitment. In my opinion, I would rank them Owen Strebig, Will Black, and Matty Augustine in terms of personal ranking of who's best, best to worst in the class. Um, but Matty Augustine, in calling him the worst, he's not a slouch. I think he's a very good prospect, um, a good athlete, a former basketball player. I mean, just look at his offer list, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Texas A&M. A lot of schools wanted Matty Augustine, um, and uh, I think – He's a good fit for Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame has been prioritizing prioritizing the offensive tackle position in this class, rightfully so. We see it all the time. You end up with a lot of offensive tackles, and then those guys, some of those guys become guards at college. But I think Notre Dame knows that it needs to sort of lean on offensive tackles in this class, and so it has been pretty aggressive in prioritizing guys that it thinks can stay at offensive tackle, but obviously have, they could always end up moving inside. But when you're talking about guys who are 6'7", and six eight, that's not ideal size to be a guard necessarily. Sometimes that can be a little big, uh, going against the interior defensive lineman. So um, and getting your helmet out of the way for from quarterbacks thrown behind you. Um, but uh, a good addition um, to Notre Dame's class in terms of what Notre Dame wants to do at the offensive tackle position moving forward. Um, as I've been r- reporting on the Insider Lounge for most of the month here. Um, it's basically Jack Lang or bust um, for a fourth offensive tackle. I don't know that Notre Dame is going to push for anyone else. Uh, Jack Lang isn't necessarily a lock to come to Notre Dame, um, but that's where Notre Dame is, is going right now. Um, obviously, things can change. Certainly, if the transfer portal ends up taking a number of offensive linemen off Notre Dame's roster, then then Notre Dame can adjust from, from there. But I think uh, the plan moving forward – um, is is to potentially add Jack Lang if it can, um, and uh, call it a call it a class with those those four, and if not with him, then then maybe just settling for three in this class. Okay, before I get to my next question, Irish fan, you read my mind. Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. Okay. <laughs> um, so wide receivers, so. There are two three-star wide receivers all of a sudden. There is Elijah Burris, again, a mm-hmm. player that people feel has a lot of upside, won't stay a three-star recruit. Sean Terry, who's from Ironton down at the very southernmost tip of Ohio, uh, but a city with a lot of football tradition, once had a semi-pro team there, um, and – he had great offers and great finalists. But when you start doing the numbers game, you think, well, Jerome Bettis Jr. And then how many wide receivers are they going to have in this class? Because there still seems like there's some very good prospects out there. Yeah, every everything. Uh, let's start with numbers first in terms of uh, the where they're at. And then, I'll, then I can rewind on Sean Terry and, and a little bit on Elijah Burris too. Everything that I've been hearing is that Notre Dame is 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 aiming for four receivers in this class. Um, so even though guys like Derek Meadows, Raiden Vines Bright, uh, Taylor Taylor, Dalen McCutcheon, those are guys that have shown interest in Notre Dame. They're not they're not going to have room for all of them now. Personally, I I think I would like Notre Dame to push for five receivers in the class if it can. Um, because I do think there are some question marks if you if you put if three of your guys are Jerome Bettis Jr., Sean Terry, and Elijah Burris. Those guys haven't been extremely productive in high school. And even Derek Meadows hasn't been like phenomenal phenomenally productive in terms of statistics. From um, uh, Bishop Gorman in Vegas. From, yeah, from Bishop Gorman in Vegas. Okay. Um now maybe some of those guys take big leaps as seniors and we're like, this is all war- we're getting worked up over nothing, but um, I think that's where some of the concern is coming from, from the fan base perspective. It's not just the three stars. I think it's just, it's these guys are three-star recruits. And also they don't, they just don't have a lot of production. I mean, Sean Terry caught 27 passes um, as a junior. Uh, Elijah Burris caught, I think 29. They both caught under 30, which that's, it's not terrible, but it's not like these guys are lighting it up. Now they do play in, offenses that like to run the ball so it's not like they're playing 
in air raid schemes and just still not getting the ball thrown to them. But I think you'd just like to see a little bit more production there, um, especially, I mean, Notre Dame started off aiming very high at the position, and it's a position that Notre Dame has struggled with in recent years um, with having guys with put putting together the output at the collegiate level. So when you're talking about guys that maybe haven't been super dynamic as receivers in high school, um, you, you start to wonder, okay, like what, what are we taking chances on at this point? Like, so I, I don't know. Uh, I, I like Sean Terry as a player. I know the, the thing that I had heard was a question mark was his speed. Um, and uh, even to the point where I wasn't sure that Notre Dame was ready to take a commitment from Sean Terry because it wanted to be certain of how fast he was. Um, and so Notre Dame feels comfortable with that now enough to take his commitment um, as recently as this weekend, that decision was made. Um, and so he, he comes into the class as the second receiver, some information on Sean Terry's 5'11", 180. Um, he was a 5.6 three-star recruit, um, which is the middle middle level. If you follow um, Rivals' rating system, there's a 5.5 three-star, a 5.6 three-star, and a 5.7 three-star. Um, so he's right there in the middle. He has some impressive offers too, just like Matty Augustine, Michigan, Oregon, Oklahoma, USC, Tennessee. Um so he's a playmaker. I can mention he, he caught 27 passes. They turned those into 525 yards and nine touchdowns. Rushed 28 times for 391 yards and five touchdowns and returned four punts for touchdowns in 13 games. So he's done a lot in the at the high school level, just not all strictly as a wide receiver, which can can also be seen as a positive too. He's that He could have plenty of development still left in him. He might not be a tapped out recruit, which is which could be a good thing too. So – um, that's what I, what I see in Sean Terry, um, and what Notre Dame's coaching staff saw, saw in Sean Terry. And, um, I, I think I indicated a little bit to where, where this moves forward with wide receivers. Let me know if I did, I didn't, uh, hit on something there. Well, my question is this, let's say Jerome Bettis Jr. commits at the spring game. I'm just throwing that out there and sure. so you have three and then Derek Meadows wants in what do you do with Taylor Taylor do you take a fifth I mean do you say he's exceptional and Taylor Taylor is kind of borderline four or five star kind of guy kid from Chicago do you make an exception for him and make room for a guy like that my personal opinion is yes I think you do okay um Especially if you can find guys with speed. That's I think if 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 that is Notre Dame's class, I don't know that it has a lot of top end speed in it at the receiver position. Um Meadows, I think probably straight line is pretty fast. He's, he's so tall and he has long strides. Um, Six six-ish. Yeah. And so I, I know that's one of the reasons why Notre Dame likes Raiden's Vines Bright uh, a lot, uh, who's planning to make an official visit to Notre Dame later this year that's transferring to img and he's from arizona right correct um and so that is that's why the interest is there notre dame expanded its and we we talked about this on a inside indie sports podcast with tom lemming as our guest that it was his opinion was that notre dame needed some more speed he mentioned lex cyrus out of pennsylvania as someone that notre dame recently offered as someone that was just was a burner um I haven't heard much positive momentum necessarily coming off of the offer there for Notre Dame, but that that's something that Notre Dame is trying to add to its class. So I'm not totally convinced that Notre Dame would like shoo away a fifth receiver that had speed if it came to that. Um, but sometimes at least at this stage, it, it, it could be used to your advantage to say, we're only taking four. So if you want to get in this class, you need to get in it sooner rather than later. Um, so we'll see how, how it plays out for Notre Dame. Um, I, I think, I think it would be really hard to turn down five receivers. Um, but, uh, Notre Dame's going to at least move forward, um, as if it's only taking four receivers in this class. Okay. From recruiting, we're going to move on to the least exciting news, which is the <laughs> Notre Dame Dame schedule Scott Phillips asked, asked about it too, but I'll I'll, I'll I'll let you talk about it and see if there's anything he asked about it that we didn't we didn't hit on as well. So um, all along, we thought Notre Dame was going to add a 
12th game being Army at Yankee Stadium on November 23rd. We've been talking about this for months. It was supposed to have, be announced by the end of January. It drags into February. And what happens? Army at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I guess maybe they needed more time to make the graphic. Um, so let's take Scott's question. And then I got a couple questions for you about this. This is a Shamrock okay. Series game. The Shamrock Series started in 2009. They haven't played it every year but they play it most years. It's an off-site home game where NBC is the televisor, if that's even a word, and no, it's a technically a Notre Dame home game that gets moved to another part of the country. All right, yeah, so Scott Phillips' questions are, what are your thoughts on Indy adding armies to the schedule this year? Does it make it weaker if we play Air Force in the playoffs and beat them? Can we win the Commander-in-Chief trophy? <laughs> you know, uh that probably should be an allowance for Notre Dame because they would have played everybody. There's been years, you know, they've gone undefeated. A lot of years they've gone undefeated against ACC competition and they haven't gotten um, the tobacco trophy or whatever they give out in the ACC. Hmm. Um, I don't know that they had a lot of options at this date. Miami dropped out of the schedule and Notre Dame needed to add somebody. Right. Um, they did come up to me with a cool venue. The Army makes sense playing there because the 100-year anniversary of the Four Horsemen. I personally like covering games at Yankee Stadium, even though I've had some <laughs> bad experiences there. The first time that the Shamrock Series game was played there, it's an open-air press box, and it was – a blast of winter right in your face. And have you been since it's new Yankee Stadium? Yes, all the okay. I've only been at the new Yankee. Okay, Stadium. I wasn't sure. I I don't yeah. know the timeline of when it was. Yankee yeah, was. it was fairly new at that point. And okay. then, then the in for the bowl game in 2013, I had the worst case of food poisoning I've ever had in my life, and so I was sick the whole lead up to the game and just maybe at halftime I finally was able to keep solid food down and of course I'm sitting there and it's unseasonably warm and somebody that we know and love uh, decided to come to the game with us and was covering it for another and decided that I needed a hot chocolate what what I didn't realize was I needed it on my back he tripped down the stairs and dumped the hot chocolate all over my back. But I still love covering games at Yankee Stadium. Um, so I'll let you talk. And then I do want to talk about the Shamrock series as a concept. Yeah. Um, I I don't have a problem with playing Army. Um, I mean, if you're filling out your schedule sometimes with a these days with the 12th team that's an fcs team um i think you could put army in there once in a while i i wonder what kind of draw it will get in late november i know notre dame played in november against syracuse but that was a ended up being a ranked syracuse team at the time um the later you play in the year in new york makes it probably less appealing to people um to but, go to but that you but you have to they don't want to convert that well baseball season has a chance to be going on. That's right. why November 23rd is the date. Right. Um, yeah. And so like, it's just, I I don't know. Is it, is Yankee stadium that cool of a place to play a football game in that you need to do it three times already? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was neat the first time, but it wasn't something that I was like, I, I can't wait till they do this in six years again or whatever. Um, so, I, I think I think it's fine. I don't think I, – it's not going to prevent Notre Dame from getting in the playoff. I don't – like, it's not – to me, it's just not – it's not that big of a deal if, if it's your 12th or your 11th or your 10th worst game. Like, I don't think it's going to make a difference regardless. Um, Given that they're playing Florida State and USC in November, I don't think it's a bad right. to have a team that's not super challenging that week before the USC game. Yeah, and I know there's people that are concerned about playing in New York and then Los Angeles. Um, 
consecutive weekends. Notre Dame has done that with success in the past. Now that doesn't past success doesn't guarantee future success, but they at least know how that works. And it's not like it's something that's totally like a Charles Schwab commercial. <laughs> do, do not take me. I'm not. A, I am not a financial analyst. Please do not take me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm fine with it. Um, I think the commander in chief thing's funny. Um, I don't think Navy or Army are going to be great this year necessarily. So it's not like either of those games will be um, significant. But um, I think uh, the hundred year anniversary. I guess I I think the way to get people to say okay, that's cool. The hundred year anniversary of the Four Horsemen. I think is sort of the the tie in. That it's like all right, that's fine. Whatever. I don't I don't have a big deal about it. It's not it's not worth me getting too riled up about it personally. Um, even though I don't know that it's like it wasn't on my bucket list of places for the Shamrock series to to return to. Uh okay. Irish fan asked, why did Miami drop that game? Do you recall that? I was they had a scheduling conflict and it was part of the ACC agreement. And they I probably drop was the wrong word. They wanted to move it to a different year. So I think it got moved a couple years into the future. But they had a scheduling conflict. And they wanted to see if Notre Dame would be willing to give up that game this year. So that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, as far, go uh, ahead. The report here that I'm looking up from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald was that the game was likely rescheduled in concert with a move made earlier this year um, by South Florida. Miami was previously scheduled to visit South Florida in 2027, but South Florida announced in February that the game was rescheduled for September 21st, 2024. That, that gave – Miami five non-conference games, which was one over the limit. Right. So, um, so this Shamrock series concept, actually when it started, it wasn't called the Shamrock series. They just started that like the third year. They just threw that in there. Oh, this is the third annual Shamrock series. And so that year I refused to call it the Shamrock series. They were going to sneak it in on me. And not say, you know what, we we messed up. We should have had a clever name for this the first two years. Because it was just called Notre Dame's Offsite Home Game. The origins of this, and I talked with former athletic director Kevin White about this a lot because this was his brainchild. He wanted to have a 7-4-1 scheduling model. Seven home games, four away games, and the Shamrock Series game, not to be called Shamrock Series. And when Jack Swarbrick took over, they could not get that model to work. It was too many, you were asking too many teams to play only at Notre Dame Stadium and not returning the game. It became too expensive, right? too much, much of a logistical. So he decided to go 6-5-1. and one. But basically, what you're doing then is you're going 6-6. Six and six. You are playing six games away from Notre Dame Stadium. I think there are years where there are great opponents, great venues. There are some recruiting, maybe benefits from it. This isn't one of them. I, you know, I mean, kids from New Jersey and Connecticut <laughs> are going to come to Notre Dame, whether you have a Shamrock Series game at Yankee Stadium or not. That's not right. going to influence them. Uh, so I think a lot of years it needs to be tanked. I think if you do it once every other year or once every third year, I think then it becomes special. I think doing it every year and kind of not having mm -hmm. um, a premium opponent and a premium venue, I think it cheapens it and just is a bad excuse for giving away a home game. Do you think? Do you think it's going to be even harder to make it happen now with these power conference teams and their expanding schedules? I don't think so. Um, from this standpoint, and I could be wrong um, in that. Notre Dame is usually willing to play in that team's footprint. For example, they've played Maryland and Washington, D.C. They're right. going to play Wisconsin and Lambeau Field and Green Bay, not on the campus of those teams. But yeah, they're usually not, but they're also not playing like the top team of those conferences either. Like Wisconsin's right. usually good. Like Wisconsin's usually towards the top end. Right. But like Maryland, you're not expecting Maryland to be able to beat you no matter where you play that game. You're hoping that it, they're not. Right. I, I, I mean, I remember um, 
I remember talking to Kevin White once about them scheduling North Carolina, not in a Shamrock Series game, and him saying, if I knew Butch Davis was going to be the coach there, we would have never scheduled this game. And so, yeah, they're thinking, I mean, a lot of these games are scheduled a decade in advance, but some of them aren't when they're filling in holes. Right. And this was before the ACC agreement and so forth. But, yeah, but I, I think you'll be able to, I think it's attractive for those teams to get to play in their own footprint and not have to travel as far, but we'll see, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it does get a little bit more difficult, but yeah. there's always Oregon state and Washington state. They're always <laughs> yeah. looking for and Washington state's been in a shamrock series game. That was the first one in San Antonio. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather play teams like that in like Vegas in, in cool locations and then save like if you're gonna play Alabama, do you really want that to be a Shamrock Series game, or you want them to come to Notre Dame Stadium? Like I think, I think yeah. the top tier games, I think, are the games that you would want to try to have home and homes. Although sometimes it can be hard to get a team like Alabama or someone else um, to schedule home and homes. So um, I think I, I'm fine with that trade off. But that, yeah, to me, you got to go cool places. Like a, a Yankee Stadium three times in this amount of time seems like too many, in my opinion. But I think this is the when you especially when it's a bowl, it's a bowl site too. Like you have a potential of ending up there in a bowl, and so it just feels it it it, it feels less uh, exclusive, I guess. It's like when you ask the girl that you've had eye on all year to go to the prom, and she says no, and then you start looking for alternatives, and that's <laughs> what Yankee Stadium feels like—an alternative. Yeah, getting and that's and that's why like. I mean, Notre Dame has said like the Shamrock series doesn't have to be an annual thing. Um, and I, I think um, sometimes it doesn't need to be like it needs it needs to to take the time to get a, a cool matchup in a cool place that is is more unique um, or more rare. Uh, can't be more unique, but um, I digress. Well, and we'll see what Pete Bavacqua, he may have his own ideas about sure. it and may want to play on a golf course. Not- yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they they uh, talked about playing at a, a race car track before yep. the one in Bristol, Tennessee. So, mm-hmm. okay. So we are going to move on to kind of our potpourri of things. I don't know anything about this EA Sports announcement, so I'll let you talk about it. I know it's a video game and it went away and everybody was sad and now everybody's happy. So you take that one. Yeah, it's a long-awaited game. I, I think uh, tw- the 2014 game was the last one um, that existed. Um, it There was a teaser, teaser trailer released last week, finally, um, saying that the game is coming this summer with a full reveal expected in May. To me, as, a, as someone who actually does still play video games, I think it's a little weird that we still haven't seen actual gameplay of the game. Usually you see that pretty far in advance of games being released, but that hasn't been the case so far. Um, Notre Dame announced today that it will, will be in the game. And that was only notable because previously Jack Sorbrick had said that Notre Dame wouldn't be until rules were in place that allowed student athletes to benefit from it. And obviously those rules are in place. Um, and so I think it was sort of a, an assumption and a no brainer. And considering that there was literally clips of, of Notre Dame in the small teaser trailer that we get, um, for uh that that we received last week so um just confirming what what seemed to be the obvious but um if you want to play with a gold helmet with the college football team on a new system like a PlayStation 5 or Xbox 1 um you'll be able to do that here soon okay um another thing is some two sport athletes were in action this weekend or this past week Jordan Faison, the Sun Bowl MVP, freshman wide receiver, made his lacrosse debut, the sport in which he was recruited for, in his first game in Notre Dame season opener against Cleveland State, of course, scores the first goal for them, defending national champions and number one team, scores the first goal, ends up getting a hat trick and an assist in that game, gets two more goals in the second game against Marquette on the road, so he's off to a great start. Tyler Buckner did play in both games. The former Irish quarterback doesn't play a lot. He hasn't played competitive lacrosse in five years, 
But for him to get into two college games with the number one team, that's an accomplishment in itself. It, it helps that they're blowouts. <laughs> it, it does help that they're blowouts. But I mean, you sure. know, that's a, that's a hard lineup to crack. Yeah. Um, Drake Bowen, who was on the baseball roster last year as an early enrollee, but didn't play in a game, he got in his first college baseball game, and that was Sunday. In Houston, Notre Dame was playing Rice in its season open ser- so season opening series. Drake came in in a tie ball game and was a pinch runner at second base, scored on a single to very shallow left field, which you can see all over Twitter. It was pretty cool head first slide. I mean, that catcher, if he had been blocking the plate, he would not be with us today. <laughs> um, and, uh, it certainly showed off his speed, so that was kind of neat to see him get to play. You kind of wonder where that's all headed with Drake Bowen. He would like to continue this as long as he can, but you wonder, will baseball ever get in the way of football, or has football already gotten in the way of baseball with him being a position player, not a pitcher? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect him to give up baseball unless someone makes him to do it. That's That's my understanding of his insistence and passion for the game. Um, so, uh, we'll see if, if, and when that ever happens, but, um, he's pretty adamant about wanting to play and, uh, Notre Dame recruited him knowing that as well. Right. And so I think what will happen is we'll see him in some of these early games. And then when Notre Dame spring football starts, we'll see less of him in baseball because he's competing for a starting spot. Yeah. I think this is a very important spring for him football wise. And, and I mean, baseball wise too. But I do, I do think he can find a niche role on the baseball team without having to give up anything as it relates to football. And there are some big series that come up for Notre Dame after spring football ends in April and into May. I think the Wake Forest series, number one Wake Forest, is maybe the weekend after the Blue-Gold game. So there will be opportunities for him. But they're off to a 3-0 start. Um, and then... Let's see. Combine. Combine. Eight players got invited to the combine. Anybody you thought, do you want to name them real quick? Yeah, Anybody I can, I can name them. Joe, everyone you'd expect, at least my expectation, Joe Hall, Blake Fisher, Audrey Gustame, Sam Hartman, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Maris Leofau, uh, J.D. Bertrand, and Cam Hart. I think, uh, so no surprises there. I think Thomas Harper is probably the only one that maybe would feel some type of way about not getting included, but there's, Tends to be a lot of good cornerbacks. Tariq Bracey was someone that um, had that same sort of unfortunate, like out. It's just there's just a lot of good cornerbacks out there, and and um, the the list of nickelbacks that are going to get invites is probably pretty short. So, um, uh, I think he's still going to get to a roster, um, but you won't be able to put a put on a showcase at uh, the NFL Combine. So the NFL Combine starts in the middle of next week. They'll start being interviews. We're going to have full coverage of it. Tyler's going to be down there at least a couple of days. And we will also then have Pro Day at Notre Dame on March 21st. And all the Combine guys can redo their do-overs if they want to. And then the guys like DJ Brown and Thomas Harper Mm -hmm. uh, can also participate that. And there's going to be a specialist um, like a special teams part of the combine. So Notre Dame will have two guys in that, right? Spencer Schrader and Michael Vinson. Correct. Okay. And um, uh, who was the punter, not last season, but the year before, he's going to be back at Notre Dame's combine. I thought that was, oh, John, John Sott. Sott. John Sott. My name was going, or my head was going blank from the name. Um, but I thought that's kind of cool that he's coming back to, to try to make another run at it. And well, he should, he was pretty, pretty darn good. Okay, do we have any more questions? Do we want to wrap it up? I think we'll wrap it up. No more questions uh, that I see here. Um, If you're not a subscriber to our website, uh, we hope you consider taking advantage of the 30-day free trial we offer to our YouTube audience. Use promo code NDYT um, when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge. You don't have to wait for us to uh, get back on here next week to ask us another question. Um, there's a link to sign up for that in the video description below. Make sure you like the channel or like the video, subscribe to the channel, um, share it with friends, tell them, 
hey, football season might be not over, but uh, football season might be over, but football never sleeps. So send them a link um, to keep up with the Notre Dame football conversation throughout the offseason because, you know, that's what we'll be doing. That's a long slogan when you mess it up. <laughs> Thanks for all your questions. Thanks for all your quips. We'll be back next Monday night on a regular Monday at 7 o'clock time slot, barring any of Tyler's James's social calendar <laughs> changes. Yeah. No, no social calendar events for next Monday. Thanks for being with us. All right, see ya.